Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and for the first time since 2011, the Australian Grand Prix will go ahead without Daniel Ricciardo on the grid. But how big a vacuum does he leave, not just for the home fans, but F1 as a whole? And is his return getting any closer? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Ben Anderson and Claire Cottingham. I will say hello to you first, Ben, refreshed after some time off. Hello, some time off? Oh, I suppose, yes, I did have a week away with the kids, yeah centre parks which has become like my second home in the last few years chance to get away before uh yeah before we get back into the swing of things for melbourne i like the fact that you barely even registered that as time off <laughs> yeah <laughs> it doesn't often feel like it though there were there are bright moments i guess i've just blocked it out of my head i'm just i'm back into the zone now the work zone well, that's where you need to be for this podcast, peak condition. And Claire Cottingham, welcome back from racefans.net, your first appearance of the year on the podcast. How's life with you? Is it? Oh, goodness me. Wow, life goes quickly, doesn't it? I thought I'd only just been here. Um, all good, thank you. Just went to the dentist. Very exciting stuff going on in my life. Not in Melbourne this weekend, but uh, we'll be back for Azerbaijan, uh, for Baku. So yeah, be interesting to watch it from probably my bed, let's be honest, because I'm not going to be waking up super duper early to watch everything but I will be there for the race and qualifying let's put it that way well it's good to know that the dentist went well given the fact you can actually speak I think you'll find Ed Straw she said I had perfect teeth so thank you very much I did lie and said that I flossed all the time well that should make for some very very good podcasting and we're going to talk all about Daniel Ricciardo on this podcast which is appropriate given it's Australian Grand Prix weekend so Claire Obviously, Daniel Ricciardo has been one of the most charismatic drivers on the grid for more than a decade. Do you think he's missed or has F1 just done what it always does and just moved on? Well, I think everything moves on eventually, doesn't it? It's like if you break up with a with a partner and, and the first couple of weeks are hard, then the, you know, a couple of months you start forgetting about them. And then in a, in a year, they've, they've sort of disappeared from your mind completely. So it's similar in the way that you have with F1 drivers. I was a bit worried when he left at the end of last year, because mainly because of the character that he brings and the fun he brings in the paddock. And you wouldn't find anyone else that would come into the paddock on a horse. You know, that, that was just Daniel Ricciardo through and through. So I think there is definitely, I think it's too early to tell if we're going to really miss his character, because it's not like it's a character that speaks up about, you know, lots of uh, things on track, safety on track and stuff like that. It's more of the sort of uh, comical side of things that that maybe we'll be missing. And so far we've had Bahrain and Saudi. Um, so it's, it's not really that we've had a lot of um, chance to kind of get the characters out there of the drivers anyway of the uh, over the last couple of races. So I think Australia will be one of the first times where we kind of realise how much we will miss Daniel Ricciardo and, and his antics on, on and out off track as well, but especially off track. And he's been out, you know, we've seen spotted him partying. There was a TikTok video that went round of him at a, a music festival dancing along to uh, the Goo Goo Dolls, I think it was, Iris, great song. 
So, you know, you can still get your Daniel Ricardo fix if you want to, but I will be intrigued to see how Drive to Survive goes without a character like um, Daniel Ricardo. So, of course, I think he's missed, but I think the sport is very quick to move on as well. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's particularly missing Formula One if if that's what he's up to at the moment. Um, yeah, I agree with that last point, really, that Formula One just moves on quickly. You know, if you think of Fernando Alonso taking his sabbatical, but could have been a retirement, you know, people didn't really miss Fernando while he was away. Glad to have him back, obviously. You want the best drivers you can have on the grid. But Formula One is not a very sentimental sport. It moves on really quickly. Uh, and I think particularly for those watching at home, you know, the Australian fans locally will miss Daniel Ricciardo, but you won't see an awful lot of that kind of stuff during a race weekend if you're just drinking in every Grand Prix from your living room. There's just a new lineup of 20 drivers and you just go with that and new narratives build around them uh, and everyone just gets on with their job. You know, it's it's you say a fond farewell and that's what the end of last year felt like, you know, with him doing more of his antics and the horse thing that Claire mentioned, it was almost like a send off. And I'm not saying he's done necessarily, but he could be. And, uh, you know, Formula One always replaces its drivers, doesn't it? I would say that the only thing that I have noticed, um, and this is very similar, Ben, in what you're saying, if you're watching it on the television, you are presented um, a view of what the drivers are in terms of how you're watching it on Sky or how you're listening to it on whatever um, medium is giving you that, you know, ESPN, whatever it is, you have got the uh, narrative of what the, the broadcaster is presenting to you. So what we have is very different and we're very lucky in that way that we get to see these very different antics happening off the track and little comments that he'll make here and there, maybe in press conferences and things like that. We are so immersed in what Daniel Ricciardo was, whereas for fans, yes, they were also, you know, able to see that sort of thing but it wasn't in the same sort of way so they can still portray someone like Pierre Gasly as being a bit funny or you know Charles Leclerc and they're doing a lot with Ferrari like the Ferrari guys are doing heaps at the moment with Sky in terms of you know the funny drawings they did in Saudi and stuff like that you can present drivers to be a lot funnier than maybe they are. Um, so I think in that way, we see a very different side of, of what Daniel Ricciardo was. And we see a lot of different sides of all the drivers, you know. Someone like Sergio Perez isn't that animated when you speak to him, but when you put him in front of a camera, he can be very animated. So it's absolutely what the narrative of the, the broadcaster wants you to see. The interesting thing is that Ricardo does, as you mentioned, retain some profile even through all this. Obviously, he was on the late show with Stephen Colbert as well, wasn't he? Recently, such as his profile. And I wouldn't be surprised if Drive to Survive find a way to include him this year or in next year's series as, as it actually is. Obviously, he's reserve driver at Red Bull. He's in Australia for the Grand Prix. He's going to be in the debriefs. He's going to be a proper full-on reserve driver, not just doing sideshow Daniel Ricciardo antics so I guess there's a, a plot line to be had there but I guess he still has value as this sort of F1 driver without drive who just sort of roams around being a bit charismatic man yeah and I I feel like maybe his continuation is more about those other things though you know he's built this following this profile lots of wider interests obviously you know it's known that he's a big personality and a great character and I feel like that's of more use to Red Bull than maybe the driving side is at this point. Yes, you need a reserve driver in case the worst happens. And, you know, plugging in a multiple Grand Prix when is it eight or nine he's had in his career is always 
useful. But the reserve driver role, you know, it's it's a it's a generally sit around wearing the kit kind of gig, isn't it? Similar to what Nico Hulkenberg had. I mean, he was lucky that he got to actually step in a few times during the COVID madness period, but that's quite rare. Normally, you spend your time in the background. So I'd like to feel that it, this transition would lead him back onto the grid in some firmer way. But I sort of feel at the moment like actually it's more like a gentle glide towards the exit. You could understand it though, can't you? Because he's 33, obviously he came into Formula One very young. His whole life was built on getting to F1, then being an F1 driver. And you can certainly tell he's enjoying just life, isn't he? He put out that uh, LinkedIn column recently when he said he's enjoying travelling, spending time with friends and wanting to sharpen up his two-wheel skills. So I guess, Clay, you can understand it, can't you, that he's somebody who's probably missed out on some aspects of life and probably really just enjoying living his life, enjoying the, the wealth he's accumulated in Formula One through his success and finding there's just other things that he could do. I mean, a lot of the drivers spend a lot of their lives quite sheltered anyway. You know, they come up through karting together. They don't really have the same sort of um, route that we maybe have in, in terms of, you know, we go to school and then we go to college and then we go to university. It's it's very different, obviously, for drivers because their whole career is is racing. So, you know, it's not just the racing on track. It's the diet. It's the it's it's the travel. It's the having to be somewhere 23 races a, a year. And it's not just the Sunday you have to be there. You've got to be there traveling on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and you can't leave until Sunday night or the Monday. You know, it takes a lot of time. We know as as people that have been traveling, I'm only doing 15, 16, 17 races added to one and I was, as I was talking there. But, you know, that's a lot of races to do. And if you're doing and have to do every 23 or every 20 or every 22, however many it is, that is so many races. So absolutely, he's going to be outgoing and having a great time. But you also have to remember the reason that he decided to leave. Um, obviously, he, we, as we know, it, it didn't quite work out at McLaren and he was you know, asked to leave. But he did have options to stay on the track. You know, He would have been able to speak to, if he had wanted to go to Haas, he could have gone to Haas. He could have spoken. He, he could have found a drive if he really wanted to. But the important thing that he kept saying is that he didn't want to. He wanted to take this time off. His mental health was in a place that he wanted to take a break. So you have to remember that when you're in that situation, if anyone out there has ever gone through, you know, uh, not liking a job or, or having a job grind you down or however it is, you need to take that time. And when you get that freedom, it does, it is, you know, bliss for your mental health because you can start regaining what you've lost and, and working on all these things that maybe were taken away from you because the amount of, of you know, constraints you were under. So I think it's very different. It's not like he's just been shoved off and, and he had no other choices like various other drivers that we've seen in the past. He did have choices. So I think that's probably why it's very different for Daniel Ricciardo and why he can relax a little bit more because he's still a huge name in Formula One and he still has a chance to come back if he wants to. It's just dependent how desperate he kind of wants to go in terms of who he used to be winning races at Red Bull. Yeah, that's the tricky thing to work out. I mean, obviously, he's a like ferocious competitor. You don't get to where he did in Formula 1 without being so. But effectively, this year, he's on a big paid holiday. He was supposed to be racing for McLaren. He's not. They've paid him off. So he can kind of do whatever the hell he likes. And that happens to also include earning some money working for Red Bull as a sort of bit part player while he works out what he wants to do. And I absolutely get 
now this idea that he would want to take a break. He needs to take a break. The life of being in Formula One is not as glamorous as it appears. Sometimes, you know, the routine is very much fly in, track hotel, track hotel, maybe some events around the place, not really a true representation of life, and then back back home to train, have meetings, do simulator, what have you. So he wants to experience some of real life that he's missed out on. That's fine. And I also think you can have these kind of enforced or not breaks from something and come back better, stronger, and more uh, competitive just from having some distance and some time to work everything out. But I temper that perspective with this sort of underriding fear that because of the way he left McLaren, because his competitive standing over a period of two seasons was at such a low ebb, I really felt like he needed to stay in the game to try and figure out those problems and fix them and show the Formula World Formula show the Formula One world that he's still the driver that won those races for Red Bull. And I completely understand why, you know, he's just not feeling it with everything he's been through and he wants to step away. But if he'd taken one of those opportunities, say he'd taken the Hass drive, which seemed like the most realistic opportunity, he would have had a chance to separate his situation from McLaren's situation and actually find a new baseline for himself under these new regulations and work out where am I as a driver, what have I still got to offer and entice the other teams around him with what he's doing now, unless he can show something amazing to Red Bull in the simulator, like absolutely stunning, there's not really going to be any future there for him and all the other big teams are kind of in situations really where they know where they're going with their driver lineup. Yes, okay, Lewis is out of contract at Mercedes at the end of the year, but he should be working on a new deal. Something should happen. And I'd imagine if he does part ways with Mercedes, they're not going to go to Daniel Ricciardo as their first option to replace Lewis. And you can work your way through pretty much all the top teams and even the top midfield teams and figure out, well, everything's locked down really or close to being locked down. And the only teams that are likely to have availability next year when Daniel's paid holiday ends are going to be the same teams he could have raced for this season, except he would have had a year out. Other drivers would have a chance to prove themselves and be more in tune with what's going on in Formula One and the cars. They'd probably be cheaper to employ as well because they're not bringing this Daniel Ricciardo brand and you know the experience and all the Grand Prix wins that will naturally demand a certain salary. So it's difficult to see how this gap year feeds into anything other than a continuation of the gap year or other kind of work or other kind of racing. It feels like a soft retirement almost. Yeah, he's probably also quite enjoying being paid a lot not to do anything given McLaren's struggles because not only is the McLaren not very quick at the moment, as Lando Norris has pointed out, it's fairly similar to where it was last year. So there's no reason to suspect it would have been any different. So a bit of a merciful release there for, <laughs> uh, for Daniel Ricciardo, I guess. But Claire, do you see any sign of a Ricciardo return? It, it doesn't see, I, I know it's quite early. So do, do you think there's much increased chance of him coming back or do you think it's pretty much as you were? I think it's as you were, really. And like you say, it's it's so early. Literally, it's only the third race of the of the season so far. He's only been out of 
um, his job for a couple of months, less than what, six months? I don't want to do the maths that quickly. No, it is less than six months. Um, so so it's, it's very early. If I go back to the relationship analogy, it's, you know, it's only a couple of months in. By this point, you're not really, you're in a very different headspace in terms of wanting to go back or, or however it is. I don't really know if that analogy works so much that way. I mean, maybe I'll just, I'll drop that analogy for the rest of it, I reckon. Anyway, I yeah, I think it's too soon. I'm going to I'm going to have to sit on the fence with that one because I just think it is I I don't think we've got any clearer indication of what he wants to do with his future. I don't think we've got any clearer indication of where maybe his headspace is at. We all we see at the moment like Ben says is that he's having a really lovely few months to regain his confidence, regain his, you know, his 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 life back in a way. Um and I don't think like with Alonso, who, you know, who I think Alonso at the time, you, you might have a better memory than me, kind of sort of said he wasn't really thinking about coming back to F1. And then a couple of years later, he sort of was back. So I think I think it's very much you, you don't really know what you miss until you're you're fully out of it, but you have to be fully out of it. And he's not fully out of it. He's still getting his little, you know, he's still getting the taste of races. He's still getting to go to them. He's still getting to be in the simulator. He's still getting the riches of being with a very, very good team at the moment. You know, he's, he's with the team that's basically probably going to win the championship, you know, again, early days, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we can, we can allude to that one. Um, so I, I think he hasn't had enough time away from the sport and hasn't had enough time away from racing to really know what he wants to do in the future. So I think that's the important thing. At the moment, he's having fun, but he will miss racing because he is a racer at the end of the day. So it's that moment where he misses racing will decide whether he comes back, but he's not there yet. Well, that's the interesting point because he he did say, I think, during the Red Bull season launch in New York that he would be going to Melbourne. I think Melbourne is his first race. And that would be the moment at which he could decide or begin to judge how much he's feeling different from being an outsider or a semi-outsider. He won't know whether he's really missing being on the grid until he's there watching a race live, being part of the show, but not being on the grid racing. So this weekend is probably quite a big deal for him in terms of this journey of discovery i think also it's a good point you make about red bull's standing within formula one because if you're going to take a gap year from racing but you're going to go and work for a team and within that body of work try to work out where you are as a driver how you stack up and where you might go in the future there's probably no better place to be because when you go in the simulator you're going to be measured against you know the best driver or certainly the most competitive fastest driver it seems on the grid at the moment and therefore if you can get somewhere close to this version of Max Verstappen compared to the one that Ricardo raced in his prior life then he's got some chance of a, a serious future because he can show a top team against a top driver that he's still competitive but if he can't do that then it's difficult to see where it leads other than a kind of slow road out the paddock gates. Yeah, especially as Sergio Perez has got a two-year deal, so he's in at Red Bull until the end of next year. So there's not an obvious opening coming there for him. Claire, coming back to what you were talking about earlier with Ricardo not being part of F1 and maybe the vacuum that he leaves in that he's a star who's no longer there. Also, Sebastian Vettel's moved on. Who do you see as the drivers that move up to fill those particular voids? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, like I said, to a casual viewer... The Skies, the ESPNs, they can create characters. The, the Netflix, they they can create 
an idea of of what a character is and um it'll be interesting because they will need to make a new character sebastian vettel is an interesting one because he was yes of course a huge character when he was in his cheeky stage but then he you know mellowed quite a lot but still was a massive character in terms of talking about the sustainability of the sport and um you know and making it greener and and stuff like that so he became a very very different character from his first character so that was the reinvention um of Sebastian Vettel which is is absolutely something that came from his heart but you have to remember to become a character like that you have to have the right pr behind you you have to have the right team that will allow you to be that character Lewis Hamilton when he first came onto the grid he was not the character he is now he wasn't he wasn't as um, outspoken he you know wouldn't have spoken up to to the sport in the same way you have to have the team that will allow you to do that but you also then have to have the you know the the, the winds behind you and the, the crowd have to be on your side at the same time so someone like Max Verstappen who has this divide in the Hamilton and and Max camp that will never go away. He he will have to have a... He's being very outspoken at the moment, but maybe not in the way that the fans are enjoying... They didn't enjoy the 2021 Max Verstappen, let's put it like that, did they? So it'd be really interesting to see which team allows their driver to have this vocal voice or, you know, have this charismatic personality away from the racing. Because I, I think lots of people with Daniel Ricciardo sort of said stop making jokes stop, just race stop making the jokes now so you know just just get on with the racing you know and I remember when he came over to McLaren he he very much said I'm gonna stop this now because I, I really want to focus on my career I really want to focus on doing well at, at McLaren and, and this is where I want to to you know to flourish and start winning races again and I think we've spoken about this before on a, on a different Daniel Ricciardo um, podcast it's, it was that comical side of things that he uses as a defense mechanism when he wasn't doing so well but he also you know had that at Red Bull as well but especially to McLaren he was very jokey and and took everything took everything very well in terms of what was going on but it all comes down to a very long-winded way of saying it all comes down to what the teams allow a driver to do so which driver out there at the moment can have a character I mean, your biggest character is Gunther Steiner. Like, let's be honest. Like, that's the biggest character on the grid if you're talking about someone that is a fan favourite and gets to speak out. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if Pierre Gasly might speak out a little bit more. Um, Fernando Alonso, obviously, has got he's, he can step straight into the Sebastian Vettel shoes of, of the big character there. He always has been a big character. But will we have a Daniel Ricciardo? No, because he was unique. Gunther Steiner's even got a book coming out shortly i think uh next month so yeah he's he's a big star but it's interesting isn't it ben because it's a whole new challenge for drivers drivers have always had to cultivate their professional image to a certain extent obviously the further back you go the less they had to but it's always been part of it and the way they present themselves to sponsors they present themselves on tv but it's it's almost an all-consuming thing now isn't it for a driver who decides to try and play up to that it's almost a full-time job to to be that character. So if I don't know, Pierre Gasly or someone like that, who's seen as quite a popular, engaging character, a bit of a, a Ricardo replacement in some ways for, for Drive to Survive, would have to invest a lot of time and energy in into doing that. And then you've got all these other challenges that, as well as being that, you might be expected to start using your platform to promote good causes and that kind of thing, which is all very laudable. But that also is a lot of time and effort and a bit of a minefield if you go into it half eight. You've really got to know your stuff. So it's it's a funny extra challenge, isn't it? That I think as 
much, much bigger for today's drivers than it is for any drivers of of the past, given just how prevalent they are and the social media stuff and the fact that they're, they're almost always on now. Yeah, I think the all, always on aspect, you can look at it two ways. You can say, well, it's all consuming, there's no break, and it's adding a massive extra load to what you have to do as a Formula One driver, equally for the younger guys coming through who are native to that kind of way of life, they might just see it as an extension of what they do. You know, you had the the four F1 streaming bros, was it Leclerc, Norris, Alwyn and Russell, I think, during lockdowns. You know, they just went online, raced and chatted to people while they were chatting to each other as mates. I think there's, because of the way the media world is and the, the world generally, there's less of a barrier perhaps now between the professional and personal selves. So if you can lean into that, which I think Ricardo is one of the older drivers has done very well. And that's what's helped him diversify his brand, if you like, so well during his driving career into all sorts of other areas. For the younger guys, a lot of that will come naturally. Some of it plays into your natural character. Some people are more gregarious and outgoing than others. You know, obviously Kimi Raikkonen famously not at all that way and I always like to use the phrase anti-charisma for Kimi Raikkonen that's what made him so popular yeah and he cultivated that you know drivers are very quick to pick up on things that they can use and and Kimi realized that having this anti-charisma even though he's not an anti-charismatic person really was to his advantage when he didn't enjoy these extra demands that Formula One placed on a driver some guys won't see them as demands. They'll just see them as part of the job or, you know, part of how you live your life. You know, Netflix and trying to lift the curtain on Formula One life will come as part of the package now for some of them. So this is just what you have to do. Um, It can encourage you to be yourself. Um, It can encourage you to clam up. Some drivers will just naturally do that. Um, Vettel, who obviously became in his Aston days, more like the driver that Formula One fell in love with when he was a, this cheeky youngster at Red Bull, but also with this campaigning, you know, altruistic message. But he wasn't on social media until the end of his career when he was having to announce his retirement in a new way that didn't involve just sending out, faxing out a press release to certain elements of the world's media. So you can be a big character without utilising all of that media and 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 those tools but equally for the younger drivers who have less of a profile it's it's a way to get there quicker to connect you know in a more realistic way maybe with the fan base rather than having to do all these just do all these events that are cultivated by a team and employer a sponsor that have gone through however many various meetings and iterations to get to the outcome you want so i think it can be beneficial overall and for the fans certainly but like everything it's about the degrees of moderation and how you use those things to to benefit rather than cause harm yeah and i think you've got to as you say make sure that it tallies with your character because different people have different personalities and if someone tries to be daniel ricardo you know if i tried to be daniel ricardo it'd be an absolute disaster because it's just (laughs) not not the sort of character that and everyone's kind of got their own thing. Are you saying you're not? Are you saying you're not one of F1's sunniest characters? No. 
<laughs> I think we'll take players' responses uh, as confirmation. Oh, yeah, everyone everyone has a different place and a different role, and they've got to obviously uh, obviously play to their, their strengths. When, when are you bringing out the Ed Straw uh, range of red wine? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be on board with that. Lots of merch coming. I'll have my own merch store. I've already got your hats. Hoodies, wine. <laughs> I'm even thinking of starting my own car brand. Car brand, honestly. What are you going to call it? Straw's a bad name for a car, isn't it? <laughs> Strawmobiles. Strawmobiles. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty bad as well. Some branding consultancy will have to be uh, have to be. You can ask Daniel. Deluge of emails from uh, companies offering their services. <laughs> give them such a tantalising. I know with the wine, prospect. the wine can still stay. You can get in touch. Any red wine people would love to give us free wine. Feel free. Yeah, that's always open. Particularly, you can you can send that to uh, to Claire Cottingham. We'll pass on her address if anyone gets in contact with wine. But yeah, in short. Everybody should uh, should play to their strengths, should we say, or at least play away from their weaknesses. Perhaps that's the other way to put it. But Ben, we should briefly talk about Oscar Piastri, who is Daniel Ricciardo's literal successor as F1's resident Aussie and McLaren driver. Centre of attention at Melbourne this weekend. What have you made of his start? Yeah, tricky one to read because of McLaren basically blowing up their own season. Um, it's it's fun, it's funny to see. Uh, clips on Twitter of Daniel Ricciardo doing a little dance and that being used as a as a meme for his uh, his feelings about seeing Piastri in the car that he would have been racing and it going much worse than it otherwise would have done. Um, but he does seem to be doing a, a good job. I mean, McLaren obviously paid off Ricciardo to get in a, a what they feel is a faster, younger, and presumably cheaper replacement, although probably this year doesn't work out so cheap when you've got to pay one guy off and employ the other. Um, but he did a good job in Jeddah qualifying. It's a bit too soon to get a really good read on things. You know, the races have been difficult for McLaren, particularly the first one. But we know that the level Norris brings, we've got enough data on him to know that he's right up there. So if Piastri can go with Norris through a run of qualifyings and races as the season settles down, then McLaren will have definitely had a net benefit from taking him on. Um, they seem to talk about him in in uh, quite positive terms. Um, Andrea Stella, the new team principal, has been talking about seeing that that talent, by which he means, you know, that I'm sh- assuming he will use Alonso as his baseline here, that kind of capacity to have a real sense of everything that's going on, not only within the team, but within the car while you're driving it. So Piastri does seem to have, and I got this sense from when he was doing interviews while he was still Alpine's reserve. You know, he has a very clear idea of his role within the team when he was doing the simulator for that team, you know, what he was supposed to be there to do to help Alonso, Ocon and the team. He talked very eloquently about that. And he seems that he does bring this kind of mature and intelligent perspective to his driving. So even though he's young, it does seem very switched on. So all the ingredients kind of seem to be there. Um, Obviously, stellar junior career, so you'd expect it to a certain extent. Um, But, you know, let's see how the season unfolds, how McLaren's, you know, upgrade packages work, this B-spec car potentially that's coming or close to B-spec car that will be coming on stream down the line and just get a few more fair comparisons with Norris. But an encouraging start, I would say, overall. 
I was quite uh, encouraged as well to hear him in the press conference in Australia today. He admitted that perhaps he could have done something better in the, the first corners in Jeddah. Obviously, he had the contact with Gasly. And where he was was legitimate. He didn't cause it, but he got squeezed up against the wall. And I quite like the fact it was kind of that thing of, yeah, I didn't do anything fundamentally wrong in terms of causing it, but could I have played that better? Could I have applied myself in a different way? Could I have thought, is this the highest probability position am I playing the percentages so that was quite uh, quite encouraging I would say yeah no stone unturned approach that's what you need you know there's always something you can do better even if a situation isn't a negative situation isn't one that you've created so yeah I think there's overall there's enough positive signs there for Piastri fans to be encouraged I mean you know it's not really unexpected is it we all would say that Piastri is a driver on his way up, who deserved to be in Formula 1, deserved to have a shot. Um, it's unfortunate that it's come at the expense of Daniel Ricciardo, um, but you know, McLaren wouldn't have made the change and such an expensive change without feeling like he was a guy that could plug in and do a really good job. So I think we'd be really surprised if we were seeing him you know, tank in a Nicholas Satifi-style way. He's quite interesting, though, Piastri, and in that he's a big contrast to Ricardo. Obviously, even when Ricardo first came into F1, he was quite relaxed. Obviously, Claire, we've heard from him quite a few times this season. He's setting out his stall to be very kind of focused and I'm here to do the job. He, he's got quite quite a, a low-key approach so far, particularly in terms of his public persona. Yeah, I, I mean, I work with, um, when I do touring cars, I work with some of the much younger drivers, um, which obviously is where Lando Norris came from uh, on the Toka package. And the younger drivers tend to have this very clinical way of speaking. And he he's still doing that. It's a very sort of, I, I you know, I did this and this was how the race happened. And Media trained. There was one driver in the junior series who flirted with Formula One and is still doing very successful, who we, we used to refer to him as the talking press release because he was so media trained, <laughs> obviously, when he was younger and he'd had that drummed into him. Just suddenly leapt to mind. Thank the team. Thank the sponsors. Exactly, Don't yeah. say anything negative. Well, that was, and of course, because I was at the time working for ITV and we can't put loads of sponsors out. So I always had to be like, anything else to say? when they Because they always thank the, the sponsors first, which obviously they have to, and I understand that. Um, but yeah, it's exactly it's exactly that. And and if you look back into you know the Toka package, who are the who are the faces you sort of remember? Well, I remember Jamie Caroline very well, and he was not the media trained sort of driver. So it it is a fine line between being an interesting driver that you want to hear from and a driver that isn't upsetting your new team, of course. And um, Oscar's found himself in quite a quite a hard situation because the car is not working how the team want to, um, and he's having you know he's having a tough time as well as his teammate, which is an important thing to say there because they're both having a really terrible time and we know Lando is a really good driver so it's important to put that into perspective as well he's having to manage something that I I would assume he didn't think he was going to come in and have a worse car than Daniel Ricciardo was fighting with so you have to put that into perspective first and he can't upset the team he can't upset whereas Lando can kind of be a bit like I had a better car what's happened he, he can have that he's got that sort of um I'm, I'm keep trying to think of the word that I'm looking for um, you know, when, but when you have the when you've when you've done enough to show that you're good and you can have that, you got a bit of leeway, haven't you? To, to you've got credit in the bank. Yeah, still not the word. It'll come to me after I've when I'm like walking away later. I'll be like, I'll text you and I'll be like, can you edit that in? Um, anyway, 
he he's got that sort of um, backing behind him because he's got the proof. Whereas Oscar is still very new and he has to have this, but he could he could just have a tiny bit more personality. I think I think it's it's sort of fine to be not upsetting your team and things, but. But but he needs to take off that. That could just be his personality. Don't get me wrong. That absolutely could be who he is. But but I think in Formula One, you've got to make your stand and you've got to make your personality count and shine and show. And I think in time that will come. But at the moment, I think he's too terrified to say anything. He looks constantly like he's a little, um, like a deer in a headlights. He's always looking terrified. And I'm like, mate, honestly, you could go behind him and go boo and he would be absolutely terrified of you saying that. So I think with time and with more confidence in the car, when the car starts getting better, We'll see more of, of maybe who Oscar is. But at the moment, I think he is he's found himself um between a rock and a hard place, and and he just sort of has to spiel out the, the, the PR talk because that's what the team are doing at the moment. Yes, we're working on the car, yes, we're doing this, yes, we'll bring upgrades here, yes, we'll do that. You know, that they have to kind of do that at the moment. It's damage limitation, I think, for, for Oscar. And I and I think that must be really difficult as a new driver coming in. Yeah, he's in a really tough situation to start his F1 career, you know, you've got McLaren's own shenanigans, which are bad enough, but also that's a big team to go into. Yeah, they're not what they were, but they're still a team with a lot of expectation. They're not anywhere near meeting their own expectations, never mind fans' expectations. And then you've got the whole backstory of him coming into Formula One and all the controversy last year with Alpine and the signed, not signed, legal shizne. So he's going to be cautious of not saying too much because he's already on the back foot and then he's walking into a really difficult situation on top of that where he's just trying to learn his craft and if we compare him to Daniel Ricciardo Ed you mentioned how relaxed he was when he came into Formula One but he started with HRT who were right at the back and then he moved into Toro Rosso which was a team built around having young drivers firmly in the midfield yes you might have your day in the sun and your chance to shine but you get to make a lot of mistakes out of the public eye. McLaren's not really that kind of environment. Um, so he's got to do all of that growing up with a lot of spotlight on him. And so long as he is approaching the job with the right seriousness and telling the team in no uncertain terms where he's unhappy and giving that feedback in a way that's constructive and accurate, then there's no problem if he wants to be a little bit standoffish in public, I think. And of course, once he finds his feet and the situation improves, he'll feel happier. But also the longer he spends in Formula One, as Claire was alluding to, he'll just get more confident and more relaxed and you'll see more of his natural personality come through. And whether that closely mirrors what we're seeing now, because that's just how he is, or whether there's some hidden humorous more relaxed side, we'll find out in due course. I mean, you know, to go back to talking about Kimi Raikkonen, he was infamously two completely different people. The one you saw in public in Formula One was nothing like the one who would go to the bar afterwards. So, and never really did the two cross over. I think as well, um, he, like you say, he's gone into McLaren, which is, of course, even though they're struggling at the moment, they are a top five team. And if, if, for example, he had gone into Williams or into Haas or something like that, the media coverage he is expected to do will be so, uh, so such a 
such a small amount compared to what he is being told to do now. You have to remember that everyone's come from, it was Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris show. You know, they've come from this idea that McLaren were the fun ones. And, and because McLaren as well, as a PR, are very open to media and they're really, really kind in terms of their time that they give them, the drivers are given to us. You know, they're one of the only teams on a Saturday on Sunday, I always get this wrong, don't I, Ed? I'm like, which day is it they sit down and talk to us? But we have the drivers for a good 10 minutes in front of us with a microphone and they give us plenty of time with the drivers. So for for Oscar, you have to remember, if he can't come in on a, in a team like Haas or a team like Williams or one of the lower downs teams, even like Alfa Romeo, the spotlight wouldn't be on him as much as it is now. And I think it is slightly unfair because of how badly McLaren are doing in terms of not getting anything really right so far this year. But But... It would have been so different if he was in a smaller team. We probably wouldn't be talking about him in quite a grand, this such a grand way. And of course, because of all the controversy that he, controversy that he had coming in as well, which has put mo- lo- loads more pressure on his shoulders, the poor guy. But if he'd come in in a, in a lower down team, everyone would expect him to to bed in, to take time, to to really get his feet under the table for the first year, even two years before we start really criticising him. Whereas the poor guys come straight into a team that's that's on the back foot already. And then they're expecting on top of that, him to do all this media stuff that maybe Daniel Ricciardo would have done. So he's, I think he's managing it incredibly well, considering how much he has to do. And that's not, you know, that's not me criticising the team at all. I fully appreciate the media commitments that that has to be done. But what I'm saying is if it was a, if it was a lower down team, it might not be as many media commitments that they have to do. So, so I do feel for him in that way, because I think the spotlight is even more on him than it would be if he started in a lower down team. I would say this is also though part and parcel of being the younger driver in a, in a bigger team, you know, Esteban Ocon had a big moan at the end of last year that he was doing 98% or 99% of all the media appearances and commercial work while Fernando Alonso swanned around being Fernando Alonso. And that's just, that's that's part of what you get from, you know, being a driver who's been there, done it, bought the t-shirt, knows all the tricks and can negotiate their contracts very well. Whereas when you're a guy coming in and you need to prove yourself, the team is going to milk you for all your worth on their on the PR appearances so it's it's par for the course I think to a certain extent I think ultimately he's made a good start and I think he's going to make a success of F1 he's also got Mark Webber behind him who's a very shrewd operator we'll be giving him some sound advice so I think the whole package is there other than the car at the moment so they've got a big upgrade planned for Baku they're talking about an almost b-spec car not actually a b-spec car but almost one later in the year so they're determined to fight their way back up the order whether they can deliver on that is another question but I'm sure when the car does get more competitive Piastri will be there and picking up the results we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner Grammarly no matter what kind of work you do how you communicate is key All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. 
Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, let's to finish off, look ahead to the Australian Grand Prix. The race weekend's about to get underway. Ben, can you see any reason to expect anything other than another Red Bull benefit? <laughs> I, I really, really, really want to say yes, but I'm afraid I can't. <laughs> I just can't see. I just cannot see a way that uh, anyone without some favourable circumstances or misfortune befalling Red Bull like happened last year standing in the way of them just romping away with it. You know, Ferrari, I think it was Carlos Sainz saying they internally estimate that they're, what, two to three tenths off the Red Bull pure pace and closer to a second, eight tenths or something on race pace. That's a massive gap for a team that at this point last season was ahead on pure pace while the Red Bull was too heavy and not really suiting Max Verstappen and also a bit unreliable all those problems on the Red Bull side have been dealt with and the cars got better and the Ferraris kind of, as I've said before on another one of these podcasts, they just feel like they've stagnated. I just feel like they've stagnated. And, you know, science is talking about how the car doesn't have the right development ceiling. It's limited in its potential as well. So even if Ferrari kind of get their act together, I can't really see how that car evolves to being something that's close or even better than the Red Bull. And of course, then after that, you've got Mercedes who need to junk their whole car. So they're in a holding pattern for at least a season, really. And Aston Martin making hay while those two teams flunk. Um, But their car is a copy of last year's Red Bull that's much draggier. So, you know, Melbourne should bring those teams maybe into the picture a bit because there's not such a trade-off on the wing settings. Although obviously there's that faster section now, so it's maybe not quite as slam dunk high downforce as it was. But I just feel like, as Science was saying, the Red Bull is stronger in all areas. Straight line speed, cornering speed, ride quality, engine performance, drag, tyre life. I mean, you know, short of Max Verstappen getting the stomach flu, I don't really see how anyone defeats him this weekend. Yeah, he said he was limited on the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix weekend with a hangover from that virus he had. He said it was like he was missing a lung. So he was having to recover after doing a push lap and that kind of thing. But yeah, it is. It's frustrating, not because it's Verstappen and Red Bull winning, but just because it's so easy, if you see what I mean, or it seems so easy. What Red Bull have done is fantastic. It's not their fault. They've done exactly what they're meant to do. So is Verstappen. But it's Mercedes and Ferrari, really, who've let everyone down. Aston Martin with their car that's sort of a conceptual copy of the, the Aston Martin, I guess you could say, rather than a literal copy because there are quite a few differences. But that's kind of injected the spice into the season. It, Claire, it really is a little bit the Ferrari and Mercedes have let us down, isn't it? Brutal. That's a br- that is br- Do you know what? It's one of the probably the first years that I don't even need to read what the clever people like you and Ben write because you can see it. <laughs> we're that predictable now. Oh, Ed, we're, we're going to be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're really angry, Ed. That's why Red Bull have really got you uh, ruffled your feathers because we don't need to look at the lap times anymore. You just know they're very fast and you can see it on track. You can see that their car glides around corners very differently from other cars. You can see the handling's better. You can see that they have 
whichever whichever track they seem to be at, they can adapt. The adjustments that they make every single race to their, you know, oh, we need to lift the wing up slightly and put it to the left and put it on top of Max's head here. You know, they do everything perfectly. And this is what's so half frustrating, like you say, with Red Bull, because we want to see a fight, but half so impressive because it's incredible. It's 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 a real joy to see a team that have worked incredibly hard and really backed Max as as much as they could and they back they backed him when he was you know not quite having the same you know road discipline that he has maybe now they stuck with him and they were like no this this is our future champion and you have to remember the one the seat that's alongside Max has been quite rotating you know we've seen quite a few people alongside there but they stuck to their guns with Max and they said no this is a world champion and they were right to do so because now they have a a polished world champion who every single time he is out there is driving better is driving um more sensible but still very aggressive I will be interested to see obviously with the last race he did have to fight from the back but with the car that he has he hasn't really had to fight against anybody so I'll be interested to see what his driving style is like when he has somebody that he is actually challenged against. That'll be very interesting because at the moment, he's just breezing past everyone. It's it's almost quite embarrassing to watch. You're a bit like, oh, there goes the Red Bull again, just breezing past another car as though it's, you know, it's nobody. It's, it's mad. So yeah, it's frustrating to see it as, as fans of F1. But what I would say is that the battle behind Red Bull is actually really interesting. And I think that's I think we've been given quite a nice little um, added bonus there, whereas, yes, it's going to be a Red Bull probably championship win, but have you seen what Aston are doing? Are you, have you seen what other teams are doing? Have you, have you seen what fight we might have between Gasly and Ocon? Have you seen, you know, there are other bits that we can focus on. And I remember having an argument with another journalist about this in uh, Saudi who said, oh, well, yeah, but it's useless. Everyone just cares about the front. You know, everyone just cares about who wins the championship. And I'm like, do, do they? Do, do they? Because I'm like, last year, I'm not a, you know, I, we, as we all know, as journalists, we don't have favourites. Um, Red Bull won last year. I was like, yeah, well done. But let's talk about some of the other drivers as well. You know, it's 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 a case of looking behind as well. And I think more people need to do that. And yeah, they're not fighting. It's never exciting to talk about who's going to get 17th and 18th. Don't get me wrong. But it is interesting to see the developments of the teams behind. I've probably just offended everyone on the grid in that quick five minutes. So apologies if I have. I love you all. You're great. Well, second is the first loser though, isn't it? And they'll all feel like that. Like Ferrari and Mercedes are letting everyone down because although it's great that Aston have made the step they've had and I'm not begrudging any of the work done there, they're, to my mind, artificially high because Ferrari and Mercedes are not progressing or delivering what they should be doing for teams of their size and teams that were at the level they were only very recently. And I'm trying to wrap my head around why teams as mighty as Mercedes and Ferrari cannot get their acts together uh, to stop Red Bull just streaking off into the distance. And I know Ferrari more than once have denied this, but it feels like ever since the floor heights and skid planks became a massive talking point and were further regulated against in the middle of last year and then, you know, the permanent tweaks made for this season, Ferrari have just fallen completely off the cliff in terms of performance. They were there with a concept that worked for the original 2022 rules and they have not been able to work out how to adapt that car for the tweaked regulations that came in last year and then into this year. So they're just stuck and they're dropping back. And Mercedes obviously, you know, 
got the simulations wrong, completely messed up the 2022 car, and are only just now realizing that they need to completely change tack. But they're also stuck because they're struggling to understand how to move in the opposite direction and get the level of performance needed. But also when you have all these extra elements designed into the rules, cost capping and aerodynamic testing restrictions, which were designed rightly to close up the whole field, you're hamstringing those two teams as well because Ferrari have talked about how they don't have the resources to develop the car properly as well as lacking the understanding. Mercedes can't just junk their car immediately and and try 20, 30, 40, 50 different error experiments to work out the right way. You're stuck with what you've got and you have to make it work. That's, That's part of how the rules are set now. So weirdly, to my mind, a rule set was designed to make Formula One more competitive. I realise in the long term, actually might have created a situation here where it's helping one team that's doing a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong. It's helping them streak away. And the others, even if they could figure it out or might have half figured it out, can't actually get there. I think that's exactly where the frustration for me lies. It's it's that everyone's exactly what you said. We're, we're all just stuck you know, Red Bull is stuck doing amazingly and you, you can't see Mercedes or Ferrari getting out of this. And I, and I, and then again, it's exactly what you say. It seemed to be to the second half of last year, you know, Ferrari did have their concept. They had, they had a good concept. Yes. Fair enough. There were some like strategy issues. There were some crashes. There were some driver errors. There were things like that. But, but, you know, if you remember in Monaco, you know, Ferrari was strong until I believe Charles crashed, but you know, that's kind of how how Ferrari were last year. You know, it was a bit. Sometimes they're amazing. Sometimes they weren't. But but to the end of the year, it just they just fell away completely. And then coming into this year, I really hope that you know they had the winter that they could have really you know thought about the development of the car. And it just seems like nobody has nobody has stepped up. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know why because it's got to be cost cap related. Is the only thing I can think of is that they can't develop the car the way they want to. Mercedes, like you say, have got, it's like having, I'll tell you what it's like. I'll give you, you know how I love an analogy. It's like. Is it like a relationship again? No, no, no. It's like you've made a bad base of your cake and that cake has got salt in it instead of sugar. And there's not much you can do. Chuck it in the bin. (laughs) Chuck them all in the bin. Exactly. Because you're never going to fix a cake that that is baked with salt in it. That is the best analogy I've ever come up with. You can put as much fondant or icing or whatever you want. And you can you can put a bow on it. You can put anything you want on it, but it will never be anything but a salty cake. When Mercedes turns up with fondant side pods at Imola, it's not going <laughs> to save them. But yeah, ultimately, you're right. It, it takes time. It's going to take time. And really, the championship's not over for this season, but the chances of Red Bull not running away with it, I think, are vanishingly small. So really, we're looking for progress that will point to something a bit more competitive in 2024, because really, we want as many teams up there as possible, drivers jostling every race to win. That's will it, just will it happen in that time frame, though, Ed? Because Well, that's the question. It, it can, you know, but will it? Because <laughs> you Ferrari literally wasted two seasons to get into a position where they could start 2022 with the fastest car, and they were great for half a season. Well, Let's not say great. They were good for half a season, but they didn't maximise their opportunity. And now they're just, you know, I don't want to say they're a shambles. That's harsh, but they're not in a good place. And there's a lot to work through. And they're realising that 
what they spent those two years developing hasn't got enough potential in it to get them where they need to be. So how long are they going to have to cycle back through to come up with a concept that is going to be able to challenge or even beat Red Bull and Mercedes similarly? You know, in the past, they could have chucked all manner of resources in trying to speed accelerate this recovery program, maybe come out with a new car in the middle of the season that doesn't rescue the championship, but salvages something and then sets them up for the following season. But under all these restrictions, which are really designed to help teams like Williams and Haas and Alfa Romeo and what have you get closer to the front, the teams that should be at the front, but that have messed up now can't really progress their way out of trouble in a short space of time. And that helps midfielders like Aston break through, but it's no good to Formula One if there's just one mega team at the top. Again, not taking anything away from Red Bull, just streaking away from everyone else. Formula One's in a worse place, not a better place, if that continues to happen into 2024 or even 2025. And then we're waiting for 2026 and an engine change and different cars and Audi coming in to kind of reset the narrative. And that's a that's a long time to wait for some, some excitement. <laughs> so stick with us for Formula One because it's going to be great for the next 10 years. <laughs> am I sacking yeah, myself I'm say, on the podcast? Wow. I feel like I maybe am. Well, bottom line is it's tough, isn't it? And they've you know, we know how F1 teams are, particularly those top ones. They expect they're going to be winning and they're going to be pushing themselves as hard as anyone to do it. No matter how critical we are, they're being even more critical internally if they're going to have any chance. So that's really what it's all about. Well, thanks very much, Ben Anderson and Claire Cottingham, for your insight. Head to the race.com. Don't forget the hyphen. Loads of coverage from the Australian Grand Prix weekend to read there. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. And also check out our YouTube channel, both in long and short form videos. All eyes now are going to be on Albert Park for the rest of the weekend, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the Australian Grand Prix. The Athletic.